Behind every great artist, there's a great band who help take the music from the studio to the stage. In each episode, I talk with some of the most accomplished and sought-after musicians in the world, delving into the details of their backgrounds, their stories, and their journeys, doing away with the fiction, and getting into the facts. It's not about the hype. It's not about the product. It's about the players. Hope you enjoyed part one of that conversation with Steve Barney. Drop many gems. We're going to keep it simple and go straight into part two. Check it out. So um, we're back with Steve Barney. This is part two. And um, yeah, I think what at the last, what we just got to on the last podcast, we were talking about you, um, you working with Annie Lennox. How, how long were you on the Annie Lennox gig for? So I got the call for that in 2003 Mm -hmm. and we did um, a North American and European tour with her on that year, um, Mm -hmm. which was great. And to my knowledge, there was no plan for her to go back out the following year. Mm -hmm. Um, But Mike, I remember Mike calling me (laughs) again, Mm -hmm. like out of the blue saying, mate, are you sitting down? I went, yeah, why, what's up? I thought thought there was a problem. He said, no, he said, I just had a call that um, Sting has called Annie and has invited her as a special guest to open for him across North America. Um, wow. And he said, you never guess what? She said yes. So <laughs> I, was like, I was thinking, <laughs> but sadly she said no. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. She said yeah. So we, um, I was just so happy and excited to hear that because – like so many musicians, I'm such a fan of the police and sting and I respect his, you know, his output he's done over the years and to, to share that tour was going to be a joy, you know? Absolutely. So, so yeah, we, the, the band kind of got back together again and we rehearsed a bunch and Annie picked, I guess what she thought was the strongest one hour set to, Mm-hmm. to open for him and it was just hits it was just right. hit after hit with the solo material and eurythmic stuff and um yeah we went over and we joined we joined the guys over there and we did i think it was 55 or 60 shows over the summer mm-hmm. the summer of um 2004 mm-hmm. so it was, it was yeah it was great man amazing amazing tour i just, can imagine she were went, you playing sweet, so you used were you playing sweet dreams with electronics? Like how are you doing it? Yeah, yeah. We uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know me. Oh yeah, I've got all the times we you know, you know me. <laughs> um, I, I think there was just some sort of some eight oh eight kind of snare or, or some stuff with you know, with some low end tom thing as well that I used to trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, but again her gig was predominantly acoustic drums. Mm-hmm. I kinda mm-hmm. liked that. But now we played Sweet Dreams and we played you know, you know, I need a man, missionary man. You know, really killer mm-hmm. songs and little birds. Some of the stuff that she did off her diva album, and it was she went down so well on that tour, and it was just a really great vibe tour. Sting, mm-hmm. Sting, and the band were really welcoming, and you know, they were always watching Annie from the wings and champion what she was doing, and vice versa. We would, we would kind of come off stage, grab a beer, and go straight out front to watch them every night, and it was just a great fun tour. Um, mm, mm. which has made all the more special that I asked my now wife um, to get married uh, during the rehearsals for that tour. And we agreed mm. um, We agreed to um, – well, I'll I tell you, um, we, we actually got married in Las Vegas on a day off during that tour. <laughs> and I must, very rock and roll. <laughs> very rock and And I must shout out, God bless her, Claudia Fontaine, who's sadly no longer with us, but she was one of the backing vocals with um, – with Annie, and when during rehearsal, she was like, you know, we were we were looking at the schedule, you know, like bands do before they go out and seeing where you're going to be and days off and stuff, and you know, I like to be, a, mm-hmm. I like to do my little tour management stuff and organise what we, you know, a restaurant here or maybe a gig here, and um, yeah, yeah. and we look, we looked at Vegas, and Claudia said to me, Vegas, she said, God, you're not you're not going to do it, are you? I said, 
What? She said, you're going to ask Mel to marry you. you, can, you you've, got to ma- you've got to marry Mel in Vegas. We've got to marry in Vegas. <laughs> Steve, come on, we're all going to be there. You have to ask her. So I said, that's a great idea. I didn't know how Mel would feel about it, but mm-hmm. I kind of uh, spoke to Mel and she, she, she agreed and I asked Mel's mum and dad and my mum and dad and how they felt about them kind of know like, us being away in the States and stuff. And yeah, they were fine with it. So yeah, I got married on that tour, which was lovely. So good memory. Yeah, that must have been amazing doing that, man. I guess I think one thing I remember with touring with you too, I think that you've always been good at like organizing your time around the tour and making the most of it and doing things. Do you think that's something that you've always wanted to do is just really try and enjoy the trip? Yeah, man. I think, you know, if you're lucky enough to be in a city that you've never been or in a country that you've never been to or may never go to again, I always try Mm -hmm. and make the most of it and try and kind of see stuff while you're there, you know? I mean... Yes, we are there yeah. first and foremost because there's a job to be done and mm-hmm. we, we take that very seriously. But if there's a day off or there's time to sort of enjoy where you are or, or see a show if another band's in town, maybe that you're um, in the city you're staying in, I always try and enjoy that, you know. So, um, yeah, I, 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 hadn't, I haven't set out to, to be like that, but it's just something I guess I try and just um, savor the moment, so to speak. Yeah, no, I think you're just naturally like that. But that's definitely something that I kind of like, I learned from you, man, because I just think that like, um, a lot of times when you're traveling and you're working, people tend to take it for granted and not just take it for granted. But, you know, you're tired, you're essentially you are working and you know, you're tired. Sometimes you don't want to go out, you just want to sleep in a hotel or this and that, whatever. But it's like, it's so important to make the most of the time you have because you don't know when you're going to be back to some of these places or, or when you're ne- when you're next going to be on tour. You know, each tour might be your last. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You never well, fucking you know. know. All, so it's like, kind of joking know. aside, you definitely don't know sometimes, you know, and I think it's good to, I think, you know, it, I don't think it's a negative thing to think that it might be your last tour. You, you, let's face it, mm, there's mm. an awful lot of, there's a lot of really great musicians in this world. And while mm. we all individually do our best, who's to say that we're going to get a call for the next tour or so, you know, I think it's important to just make the most of it, you know? A- absolutely. I always look at like, um, well, I have since I've been doing it, I just look at a, a gig as like, um, you know, if if you if you do if you're if you're lucky enough to do a campaign with somebody, then that's just fucking that's amazing. If you do like two, that yo, I feel like anything above like one campaign, which might be a couple years, is just is just a blessing, and it's just fantastic because I think that you know after that amount of time, sometimes you want something different, they want something different. You never know, so I think that it's important while you are. If you're lucky enough to be playing with a successful artist that is doing well and is going to have a campaign, you just enjoy it and try and make the most of it. And um, I definitely, that's something I've taken from you. Like, I always remember that time we went out in Barcelona and did the, <laughs> did the rooftop. I was just thing. thinking about that, man. Funny yeah, enough, but- talking about what I mentioned in the last episode, the last podcast episode we did together, that mm. I was just talking about in this particular time we're in, I have a lot of time on my hands and I'm going mm. through old hard drives. And one of the things I discovered the other day was, <laughs> like, in the middle of a tour, we're like, you know, loads of gig pictures and show pictures and on stage. Yeah. And then it looks like Stephen Kojo's holiday. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Which I think, which I guess it was. I think we stayed, we'd done a corporate gig or something in Barcelona, then me and you stayed for maybe yeah. a day or two extra days or something. So That's right. Yeah. That's right. But even to this day, that's like, that's still the best time I've had in Barcelona. That's the oh. only time I've ever, like, actually seen anything or done the open top bus or, yeah, you know, great. done anything. You know what I'm saying? It was a good little vibe. It was, it was but, a great um, vibe, man. But it's something I do like now when I, if, if I'm traveling and if I'm doing stuff, I think to myself, if I got a half day, I forgot whatever, I think to myself, like, hmm, what could I do? What could I make the most of? You know, because it's like, you know, you just never really know. Um, but yeah, so, so, so you, so I guess it sounds like you did a couple years with Annie Lennox. So like after, yeah, like, like how, what did you do after that? Well, what was your kind of plan after that? Or were you thinking about what were you going to do after that? Like, Always. how did you, yeah. yeah. I think I came back from the American tour and this is, I mean, I was so, we had, we had such a great tour. Obviously I'd got married. That was super special. And, <laughs> but I don't mind admitting, I came off that tour and I was so happy to see Mel and be home and, you know, and be married. But I mm. remember, I remember being really depressed <laughs> because, <laughs> The elation of being on a tour like that and watching Sting every night and being up there with Annie was just, it was just such a high. And I wasn't mm-hmm. depressed to be home 
with my wife, and I've learned this as the years have gone on and my tour and, and tours have gone on, and I think my wife's learned to ignore me as well. But yeah. I don't think it's that you're because I was thinking, man, am I a depressive person? Am I like, am I depressed <laughs> to be home? But I think what it is, I think it's decompressed. You're actually yeah. decompressing from this super, you know, just take the shows alone, the super admiration of the artists that you're supporting and the audience and i'm not talking about for me as an individual as a drummer they're clapping mm. annie lennox on that particular you know but you're there definitely as a part of a shared experience and to come home and i'm not just saying because there's no applause do you know what i mean <laughs> even though <laughs> even though my front doorbell has actually got applause on it so <laughs> i i actually bow and then answer the door no um yeah. but i think there is a certain amount of decompression when you come home from tour and just some readjusting readjusting you know and um so i remember there was definitely a period after that annie sting tour where it was a little again a little bit like i was definitely calling mike up hey mike i'm home (laughs) (laughs) thing is he he actually did that part of the annie tour he was playing on that because adam wakeman had gone on to i want to say travis or black sabbath so mike stevens was actually out on that tour which was which is great. So I couldn't call him just to say I'm home because he just landed as well, you know? Right, right, right. I think it was about, I want to say about June of the following year. So I had six months of a kind of a quiet period, which is, which is fine. Like that's what happens in this industry at times. But Mm -hmm. I remember getting a call again out of the blue. And this time it was from the drummer, Thomas Lang, the great Mm -hmm. Thomas Lang, you know, who's a massively, um, internationally respected drummer, you know, and clinician. And mm-hmm. he phoned me out of the blue and I'm like, I don't know how I had his number. I don't know if I had his number in my phone, but he phoned me and said, Hey Steve, how you doing? And just checking in with you. What are you up to? I said, oh, I'm just at home. And to be honest, I'm not, I tell you what, coach, I'm not one of them guys. Maybe I should be, but if someone calls you and says, yeah, what are you up to? I don't, I don't kind of lie and say, yeah, I'm just in the middle of this and that. It's super busy. <laughs> I just go, I'm doing nothing. I've been, <laughs> so I remember saying to Thomas Lang, I'm really quiet. I'm not really working at the moment. I'm, you know, he said, well, funny enough, that's why I'm calling you. I said, right. And, um, cause me and Thomas are very different drummers, you know, it's mm-hmm. that, that, that guy can, can do some incredible things, you know. And he says, well, listen, I'm involved um, doing the Sugar Babes gig. I was like, oh, great. And I think I had heard that he was doing that. Mm-hmm. But he said through, through one reason or another, his, there was some, there was some, um, there was some cross wires with his schedule for a clinic tour that he had. And he was mm-hmm. also, I think, in the process of relocating to America with his wife and his family and, in 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 my mind, I want to sort of I, I want to say and sort of think that he was basically relocating to the states and he couldn't fully commit to the mm-hmm. sugar babes thing. Um, so he said, "Would would I be up for kind of coming down?" And mm. he said he, he said he called me because Mike was going to call anyway, but he wanted to check in with me first. So anyway, that led to as you know, Kojo, me kind of coming down to London and meeting up with you guys and and kind of um, starting to do the sugar babes gig with you. Yeah, so it's interesting, man. I think that, um, what you said about like when you're talking to people and just being honest about what's really going on, I think that's a really um, that's an underrated quality, also, man. Because um, a lot of times guys feel like they have to fucking tell you some big story and they have to be busy and they have to be doing whatever, and it's like there's no need for that you know what i mean it's just yeah. like just fucking be real i mean it's just like i've had situations where people call me up and it's not they're not people that i speak to regularly they're not friends um and they'll start talking about work or random things and whatnot and then when i ask them what they're doing they'll be like oh you know i'm just doing so much i've got so much going on i'm just doing this and that whatever and that. so i think oh, okay that's great so maybe they're just calling to see how i am and I'm, and, and then i'll hang up the phone and They'll usually call back about five minutes later and be like, "Oh, but by the way, if there's anything going, I'm I'm I'm, I'm available." <laughs> it's kind of, and it's like, but you just told me that you was super super busy doing X, Y, and Z. Like, what's the point of that? And I think, yeah. like, you said you were just ringing to see how I was. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That too, yeah. but yeah. Um, I really and- hope you and the family well. <laughs> however, however, if you're, if you're going to be in an arena anytime soon, you need. <laughs> I don't know. It's funny. <laughs> but yeah, but I think I think that's I think that's great, man. I think that's obviously again, I think, you know, that's a good quality to have. So you found yourself in another kind of like session type of gig, pop yeah, gig, different musicians, different whatever. And they were like, you know, again, they were a big band at the time, Sugar Babes. Um, 
they would have gotten mentioned a couple of times in this podcast because that's where I kind of started my session journey. But um, yeah, for people that don't know, they you know just think about what Little Mix is now. Um, maybe they were I think had a cooler reputation than that in terms of like you know they they were a bit left at the time or whatever in terms of their kind of fan base. They were they were like a cool girl band, right? Uh, Mate, they had some good songs, and I thought. For all the pop element and whatever pop is, there was a, yeah. there was a darker side to their pop writing or in the so, in the songs. And again, whether it's just the way that we approached it or played it or the way it just came out, because when you put live guitar and drums and stuff. But again, I thought the Sugar Babes was a great play, and I really I don't know how your memories with that, but for a pop gig, I thought you know we we did some. I don't think we like. Tore, sort of like tore the arrangements in part and did some crazy stuff, but I think it was a really good, polished, solid band. That oh, 100%. I mean, the thing is, from my point of view, it's just like, first and foremost, I can't remember because for me, it was a fucking whirlwind. Like, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. So it's just <laughs> like, I was just trying to fit in. So it's like, it didn't, you know, in terms of like, I had no reference points of what good, bad, or indifferent was in terms of what a live gig was. But what I do think, what I do remember is that, you know, they had like, we, we I remember we would do like, you know, 10, 11 number ones in a set back to yeah. back. So it's kind of like when you do that, it's hard to lose. This, this, yeah. this is the other thing. It's, it's hard to have a bad show yeah. if you're playing like, you know, 10 number ones or something like that. So I, 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 yeah, I, yeah, it was, it was a good band and it was, I mean, we, we were all in that band for like four or five years. I think it was we were. Like, I mean, um, I mean, looking back, mate, we did, we did like, we did two, two or three British tours together. Mm, mm, um, mm. with them we did a couple of the big long theatre tours and we did an arena tour in 2007 mm, and I don't mm. know about you maybe if you look back on the if you haven't which actually I do I'm sad like that I've got I've got all the gigs <laughs> like that. I, I know where I've been and what I've done and mate I was looking there was an awful lot of work with the Sugar Babes so if uh, some people may not think or look back and think of a pop gig as maybe something where there's not much work maybe there's not now but for us, mate, we were, I think they liked using a live band and we ended up doing an awful lot of festivals and even kind of TV work was more apparent at that time, you know? Um, well, yeah, I think it was, I think as well, I think that, again, it's like without looking back too much, but I think that um, the music business has changed over the past 10 years in particular, mm-hmm. but, I, but we're talking 15 really, but I mean, it has changed. And I think that there was more touring, like, you know, like a, a standard kind of theater tour then would be like 30 plus dates. Whereas now, you know, a theater tour for like a pop act might be a couple weeks, you know, yeah. two, three weeks max. You know what I mean? Um, I think as well, there was a lot, you know, I don't, I don't know, TVs, there was a lot more live music on TVs or bands being on TVs that, you know, the campaigns were longer. Now a TV campaign, there might be three or four shows. You know what I mean? You might do like Jonathan Ross, you know, um, fucking, um, it's got Jules Holland if it's a cool band. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? There's Grand actually North. not that many. There's not not really that many left here in the UK, is there? You know? There's not that many music shows. So I think that again, like you said, we were kind of um, we were lucky to be kind of touring regularly and playing regularly with a band that was successful at that particular time. But mm-hmm. um, how did that like again? So did you feel at that stage? This is, I guess, at this point, you'd been doing this whole thing for. A good few years did you see yourself as a session drummer still or did you just see yourself as you know a guy still from a band like how were you kind of like seeing your kind of career at that point by then i was definitely you know not a band guy anymore because it had been mm-hmm. by the time we were doing sugar babes between 2005 and nine mm-hmm. um you know i it had been you know a long my band broke up in 2000 so by then i definitely felt i was I'd kind of converted over to the the freelancing kind of session world, and sure. but you know the the sugar Bay thing, I guess you know again, you know like we we kind of learned a lot on that, and it was it was a busy. I mean, one thing I didn't say before that I think when you said what do I see my qualities as a drummer, I I think it's imperative that you need to play and be comfortable with a click track, and you know because so much stuff these days has has kind of um, you know bits of production or loops and stuff that the drummer would need mm. to play to. So I think, you know, I'd like to feel I'm, I'm very comfortable with a click and that's been an important thing. And, and Sugar Babes is definitely something that we both, we both had kind of click running through our ears, didn't we, mate? Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. That, that, that and David Whitney's jokes. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. I mean, we had two keyboard players. It was, it was a lot of different stuff, man. But like, 
it's um what would you say like um it's like for you like again like being in that type of i guess workspace what was the most challenging thing for you as a musician like to kind of to do was it electronics was it blending with other musicians was it learning the songs like what what did you find um the most challenging part of it i mean that wasn't the most kind of um i didn't have a great depth of knowledge with electronics and i mm -hmm. definitely relied on having a good drum tech or keyboard tech that might right. help me kind of do stuff as the years have gone on and i guess um certain electronic drum companies have kind of made things that are actually more easy to understand or mm -hmm. like for my mm -hmm. cave for my caveman brain uh, <laughs> like the Roland SPDSX for example and to have that and to actually get the physical sounds from the MD be it yourself or be it Mike Stevens or whatever then mm -hmm. when you got the source sounds off the record there's no I mean, I know there's a definite art to knowing how to recreate sounds that are on a record, but to be given a WAV file of a particular snare drum or a particular kick drum, then I think that's a great thing. But we, um, so in the in the Sugar Baby days, I think I had an MPC and and some pads, and I think I <laughs> and a really and a really kind keyboard tech that helped me kind of put them in there. But, yeah, but, yeah, so yeah. I, I guess that was wasn't a challenge, but I don't mind being honest about maybe I wasn't as well versed with the electronic side of things. But, mm -hmm. um, but I don't remember, I mean, arrangement wise, or it wasn't with the greatest respect to the, to the gig. It wasn't as challenging musically as say, um, uh, say Jeff Beck or Annie Delix, but at the same time, you know, everything is, I wouldn't say any gig is easy because I think there's a certain amount of importance on everything you play and do, you know, and, and that, and I, and I feel that Sugar Babes gig, you, I needed to be very authoritative and and solid, you know, and and very musical on it, which you know, hopefully, you know, I achieved that, mate. But I, but I always I, remember "Push the Button" being the hardest song to play, and I know it seems yeah. like the stupidest thing to kind of say, but it's just like because it had to sound so robotic and so in time yeah. what everybody's playing live it was just yeah. like and you're using the, every, all the sounds were exactly like as per the record so if it's even like a millisecond out it sounds like fucking there's something wrong with the record <laughs> do you know what I mean mate you so know I'm, what I mean the fact that every single one of us was going I mean the law of physics were the greatest effect to anyone who can play to a click and, yeah. and like you say because it was so programmed and not it didn't lend itself to um a bit of fluidity or looseness yeah. oh no <laughs> yeah. remember do you remember we eventually we did do a bit of a mashup thing with with um the who's we won't get fooled again and we yeah. actually and we and it and we didn't play it like electronic on the on the final tour well the final tour i did with them in 2008 i think it was called change i remember that but we played yeah. it we played like a we won't get fooled again thing which i know you programmed and definitely sorted out and, um, and we ended up playing it like, well, I played it on acoustic on drums, and I actually think that's felt and sounded better as a band performance. It then. sounded much better. It was your. I remember that whole thing was your idea, actually. I remember it very, very clearly. I knew that. I, I knew that, but I didn't want to say that. But thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna let you have that one, but I, I'm not, thanks. No, it definitely wasn't my idea. I mean, I, I don't even think I had ideas at that point. I don't even remember. Like, I, I think my got... idea might have been the Two Tribes thing as well, but I could be wrong. Do you remember Two? You, we did yeah. Two Tribes with Red Dress. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. I think a lot of them were your ideas because uh, I think that like you like as I said it's like I remember there was I think that that won't be fooled again was used on a TV show at that particular time and yeah. you was like oh it'd be great to use it and I and <laughs> yeah that was your idea to go I, I think you had a, it's interesting you had a lot of ideas I remember I remember not just having ideas I think that like um you're a person that's really into music um and I think that's always kind of like come through to me. You, you, you've always kind of like shared good music. You've always had, oh, you'll always be listening to this or listening to that or bringing things forward. And I think that, um, I think even now you'll send me a little thing. Oh, check this out, check this out. And I, think I love that doing I, that, man. That's, to me, I think is I, I love nothing more than hearing from a friend, you know, would say, mate, check this out. Because it's what we always kind of did, you know. And um, and nowadays it's, you know, depending on your point of view, it's it's a so easy thing to just share something. You don't have to, you Absolutely. know, send someone a tape. You know, you could just do a link to Apple Music, Spotify, or or, or wherever. You know, it's um, yeah. oh, I love doing that, man. Especially Prince, because I know me and you love Prince, so we always oh, share yeah. Prince stuff with each other. Oh, absolutely. But I just think it's I think it's great. I think more importantly, I just think it's 
it's great to maintain that passion for music. You know what I mean? Not just for just fucking playing or doing a gig or doing for whatever, but just actually enjoying music. You know, there's some people I've worked with that it's like they've, you know, it's like outside of a gig, they actually don't really like they, they lose their love for music. You know what I mean? Which I think is, um, which is quite sad. You know what I mean? And Mate, um, I would be, it would be a sad day if I lost my love for music and, and you, you know what I mean? I would be like, I wouldn't, it's kind of who I am, you know? And, and that's why, you know, I, again, I don't mind being honest that in the, in the, in the situation that the world is in right now and um, mm-hmm. with the coronavirus situation and, and the kind of uncertainty it's definitely, uh, you know, it's definitely challenging time to face um, forward, not quite knowing when our industry is going to return back. And I don't want to go too deep into that because we want to keep it positive, but it's definitely uh, an interesting time when something that you're used to doing, which I've never thought of my my workplace as mass gatherings until the news started yeah. reporting. <laughs> but I'm like, hang on, that's yeah. me. That's kind of what I'm just <laughs> with, the, with, the, with the state of the world. And listen, I'm not just saying that me or musicians, I mean, it's going to, across the board, we're all affected by this, but it's going to, I mean, I really look forward to getting back to some, you know, who knows what that will look like, but it's definitely an interesting time. But yeah, I love music, mate, and don't actually know what I would do without it. It's been, it's it's a a massive part of my life. I love listening to music, discovering new music, watching bands play live, you know what I mean? Yeah, man. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. I love it. Yeah, no, again, I, I think so much of that stuff I learned from you guys, because one thing I definitely didn't do, I, I, I didn't, I really didn't watch that much live music or know about, I remember you guys would always talk about, oh, this person or that person, uh, you, you, you guys would be naming musicians, and I'm just, I'll be sitting there like, who, who the fuck is talking about? <laughs> because I was, I knew more, I knew producers, I knew records, I knew things like that. Yeah, so that was like, cool, that was cool that you were from that, that to me was cool though, that you were from a different perspective we were we were all coming out from different places yeah absolutely absolutely so i was just thinking actually so just in general because you've obviously been doing it a little while now do do you enjoy touring just as a whole i do i really do yeah yeah Yeah, i love it and i love my family my wife and my son dearly but i love going on tour because it's it's kind of what i do and 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 um it's been it's been the thing that's called me more than studio work so that's also my my bread and butter that's how I make my money so yeah I love touring and I'm not bored of it and, <laughs> and I you know I mean there's been certain tours where I guess I've been out for a I think the longest I've been out and away from home was three months with Anastasia who will right. who will come on to I know we haven't spoken about her yet but um mm. Yeah, so the, but that was a long stint and I think by the end of it we were all kind of a bit cross-eyed and like wow we were we were kind of we've been out a long time so so I was excited to get home, but I love touring, mate. I love, I love the, I love the kind of, you know, I, I love everything about it. I really do. I don't mean to sound boring. And, no, you know, no. Hey, there's, there's bad days, you know, and there's days where you're missing home more than others or, hmm. you know, and occasionally like any workplace, you know, maybe you're not feeling the best or someone else on the bus is a little bit moody. And But for the most part, you know, um, I think I try and learn over the years to, give other people's space, which is definitely what they need. It's not always about what toms you're using and what symbols you've got, because mm-hmm. it's also a lot about, as you know yourself, where you don't have your equipment in front of you for most part of the day. So it's actually, like you've said, and said many times, that it's people skills. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm a perfectionist at, at that, but you at least try and be a good guy to be around, you know. Or, Absolutely. Or, or at least still rocking the same jokes 20 years later. <laughs> Or have a joke. I mean, shit, that's, that's more than Listen, some people, man. You know. Just one will do. Anything. Just one. One good one. Retell it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Every tour. <laughs> but, um, no, that's great, man. So, um, after, so, so after Sugar Babes, which you did for a few years, you then started doing Anastasia, I believe. Is that correct? That's right, man. Yeah. So, I think there was a general... I, as my memory says me, there's a general feeling, again, like you said before, where there's a, you know, with, with bands, every every kind of, you know, every two or three year cycle or something, you know, that bands, through, not, through no reason or fault of anyone's playing, that, that they want to freshen things up. And I think there was a general feeling within the Sugar Babes camp that they wanted to switch things up a bit, and mm. which, is, which was cool that I completely understood. And, that, and at that time, um, Mike, you know, our friend Mike Stevens had been um, approached to um, 
by Anastasia to put to put a band together for for her. So mm-hmm. as I finished things up with the Sugar Babes, I um I landed the Anastasia gig, which was which I mean, which it's... was which was and is still a great gig. I'm still it's been my longest standing gig now, which I've done of any artist that I've mentioned so far. Um, so how long have you been doing Anastasia now? Uh, Eleven years. Woo! And I thank <laughs> the gig gods, and I, I definitely thank Anastasia for for believing in kind of me and I mean our good friend Orofo Arakway, who we played mm-hmm. together with, a phenomenal bass player. Yeah, um, yeah. Me, me and him got so we were playing in the Sugar Babies band together, and we both got. Um, Mike brought him in to play bass for Anastasia and yes. yeah and me and him are still the rhythm section for her 11 years later which is just amazing to think you know I, I just think that that's like I think again I think that um, I've said this before but I think that like being able to have staying power on a gig is um, says a lot more about a musician than um, doing a zillion gigs you know what I mean if somebody's wants you around over a long period of time that means you must be doing something right. You know what I mean? It's not a lot of, and there's so. not a, oh, a hundred percent. There's not a lot of artists as well that have the repertoire and have the um, performance ability and I guess the fortitude to be touring for that long. Do you know what I mean? I mean, that's kind of like, um, that's a very rare thing in music. So um, yeah, congratulations on that. You know what yeah. I mean? Oh, thank you. <laughs> now, we've done some, we've done a lot of, like we've, we've been to, Australia and New Zealand and all around Europe and Russia with her and you know we toured the UK many times and she she's the real deal you know she's a mm-hmm. phenomenal singer she loves to perform live with a band so mm-hmm. as, as far as, as a, getting a call for a gig it, it couldn't be a better one because she likes to work you know I mean she's yeah, yeah, yeah. she's she's had a lot of hits and so so there's a so there's a set list of songs that we can draw upon to um to give our audience what they want, and you know, it's been, it's been, and continues to be, you know, um, a, a really great gig. You know, she's, and and for me, it ticks the boxes of all the styles of music I like. You know, I, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know me, Kojo. I love, I love kind of rock music, and I love funk and groove stuff. And she's definitely kind of got that stuff going on. And then she's yeah. like her for a, a big slushy rock ballad, which I love playing as well. So. Yeah, yeah, she's, yeah. She's funny and she's been considerate, and it's been it's been a really great band to be a part of, especially with my friend Orofo, who's been there, like I said, since the beginning of that gig. There's yeah, been, man. you know, there's been like changes over the years and the different tours that we've done, but somehow me and Orofo, the old kind of the old road warriors, have still. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but that's amazing, man. That means you guys have been playing together as a rhythm section for fifteen years. Do you know what I mean? Oh, so. Tell you what, man. I never, I never thought about it like that. But he probably is a bass player. I've probably played with him more than any other bass player. Even though I've done, you know, considerable tours with Annie and you know, um, sort of a few other people. But I think ultimately, Orofo, I've probably played with him more than anyone, and he's. He's so musical and he's got a lot of weight to his playing. And, you know, um, I think me and him, for whatever reason, I don't know why it is, because we kind of come from different places uh, musically and, and with our influences, but I think we make a good sound together when we play. You know? Oh, absolutely. I, I, th- I think as well, I think from my point of view, um, thinking back to how you guys work together, I think it's something that, like, I kind of um, – always think about in music in general and kind of look for is that you want people to compliment each other. You know, um, sometimes if you have people that are from the same place, it's like, it's not necessarily a good blend. If everybody wants to do the same thing and everybody wants the same space on the part and everybody has a similar, you kind of want people that have different approaches and it's how they kind of blend together as a team, as opposed to, you know, two amazing individuals or three amazing individuals or whatever, or or they can still be amazing, but they need to have, different ways of being amazing and i think that that's kind of like um that's a really important important part of live music in general not just playing together but fucking complimenting each other uh, and making a good sound as a unit not just oh look what he did or look what he did or look what he did it's just like that's whack mate i give him compliments all the time but he's never actually told me that he actually likes playing with me but (laughs) (laughs) 
I complimented him on his bass playing and his sound, but he's never once said, mate, that felt great. <laughs> he, just, he just gave me that RFO eyebrow and just gone back to his dressing room, you know. <laughs> I'm joking. No, I love, I love, I can't say it enough, I love playing with him. And, and um, you know, it's, it's um, you know, over the last 11 years, like I said, we've done a lot of touring with it and a lot of shows and, it's great, man. It's, it's a great gig. I don't know how many people could say that. You you know, I don't know how many people could say, oh, yeah, I played with so-and-so bass player or drummer on X, Y gig for that amount of time, you know. And I think that, like, sometimes, you know, I say truth is stranger than fiction. Sometimes that fact speaks volume itself. You know what I mean? It's like somebody has wanted you to do that over and over and over again. And sometimes things that people think are great maybe aren't that great because it's like, shit, like how long did you do it for? How long did they want that to continue for? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It's, 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 I think it's a really rare thing. Cause I think by, by the nature of music and by the nature of a business of the business, there's also, there's a, there's off, there's often quick turnarounds and there's lots of changes for various reasons. So again, that's another rare thing to kind of do and be able to say. Um, but it just makes me think as well now, like, so, for you now, obviously, we've talked about you getting married in Vegas and being on the road a lot. And, you know, you've kind of walked from different. It seems like the gigs have kind of lined up for you in a really kind of fortunate way to to to, to basically to make a situation to whereby you've probably been gigging constantly for the best part of 15 to 20 years now. When you put it together in a, in a conversation and in a way that we're talking, it does feel like... Um, consistently and you know what more often than not yeah i mean i've been fortunate enough to work for i don't know i don't i don't sort of add it up but maybe seven eight months of the year if you looked at the you know with with touring or shows and all that but i have had you know i've had i've definitely had lean periods kojo and and um sort of reflective periods where i think wow what have I done? <laughs> have yeah, I had yeah. somebody or and i mean anastasia god bless her had um uh, she's had cancer twice, and sadly, the second time it came around, you know, she uh, she had uh, she had breast cancer, and completely understandably, she had to postpone everything to, to get treatment, which we all completely understood and, mm-hmm. um, and and supported her, and you know, sent her lots of love with with her sort of recovery, and 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 thankfully, you know, talking to you today, she's completely you know cancer free, and you know, she's good, mate, you know. And she's oh, great, in fact. but at yeah. the time, you know, um, that led to me having a, an 18, because I guess I'd put, see, it's a tricky balance with being a freelancer that if you, you know, the one thing of having the, um, working with this, the same artist and being an artist, it's a great thing. But mm-hmm. if, if an artist isn't working and you've been predominantly with that artist, it's sometimes hard to land another show or another tour just because that artist has gone away for the, for the time being. So I definitely had a period of time where where she was getting treatment that um, I didn't tour as much. And I had a really reflective kind of year. I mean, my dad was going through um, chemotherapy for um, – he, he had a, le- a leukemia. So, I mean, and there was, there, there was a bunch of things. I think basically my dad was um, – he wasn't well. And, and in retrospect – even though I had a quiet year with work, I was I was able to travel down to be near with my dad and with my dad while he was going through that a lot more than I would have done if I'd been on the road. So again, while that was a quite of a re- reflective and a difficult year financially, I guess as well, it actually meant you know that I was there for my dad, you know, and, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I'm glad to say that he he made a you know a recovery from that and and then when Anastasia made a full recovery she was kind enough to call me an RFO um, to return to the band you know albeit a few changes within the personnel but we yeah yeah so um, but no I didn't mean to interrupt you but you said it feels like you're constantly working for 15 years but no in but, my head I know it's not always been constantly but yeah but I, I think that you know what though I think that as a session musician um, there's going to be I don't know if peaks and troughs is the right word, but there's going to be periods where you're really busy and there's going to be periods where you're not so busy. And I think that it's important for people to obviously know and understand that. And I think financially to kind of try and plan for that a bit. You know what I mean? When you're working, make sure you save, you know what I mean? Make sure you're kind of conscious of the fact that 
it might not roll on forever. So that if there is a few months or more that you're kind of maybe not doing anything, you're kind of covered and that you can kind of like, you know, bide your time and hopefully try and, you know, bring something else into reality. But it, it is your own business. You're your own company. So you have to kind of look after yourself and look after and manage that properly. You can't just expect to get a gig every every time you get off you know you're not gonna oh. always get a gig you know what i mean it's, it's really very very rare that someone might get off one tour bus and get straight on another one it's like i mean if you can make that work as a diary and as a as a bit of luck then good on you but that's not always the case you know and no i think absolutely. one thing that like with all of us no one can actually teach you these skills we can learn about stuff and hearing about things but no one taught me how to not be so excited that my first tour um, was over and when I got paid you think you know I'm not saying you know say for example if you get you've done a six-week tour and you get um you know that that six weeks worth of money you can mm-hmm. be very excited in in it and go and buy yourself a brand new pair of trainers or go on holiday or whatever <laughs> like, exactly what you've said you've got to be mindful to take care of thinking forward that if you have not got anything coming up and you have yeah. to take care of yourself and your family. You need to you need to be mindful of your money. So that's definitely not something that is, I guess, obvious to us musicians that we have to we've had to almost teach ourselves that. Really, you know. Absolutely, and sometimes you have to learn the hard way. I think that I think that that's the thing. I think that experience ultimately teaches you. I'm, I'm sure we've had times when you when you did blow all your money when you when you did kind of like find yourself like you know up shit's creek with no paddle. Yeah. But I think over time, that's a great nightclub. Know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> shit, <it's true. laughs> yeah yeah shit but you yeah you just kind of figure out that if you're going to do it long term it's going to be like that and you're going to have to kind of manage that yourself and then there's you know Absolutely. and it's your and it's your responsibility to do so but i mean that brings me to another thing that's of interest to me and i think would be of interest to people listening it's like you know you've been doing it a long time you've spoken about being on the road you know, getting married on the road. And you've obviously, I know you have a child, you know what I mean? Who's now a young man. Um, You know, how do you, um, how do you manage having a family and touring and how do you feel about touring and having a family? I have a really understanding wife. (laughs) (laughs) Since I met Mel, my wife, um, I guess I've always been doing this and she kind of knows and has accepted me for this is what I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's really kind of supportive of it you know I, I make no bones about it it's difficult to go away and say goodbye to my family and especially my son who was especially when he was a little younger than he is now mm-hmm. he used to get upset when I was leaving it was he was definitely he had that look in his eye of like dad where are you going and how long you <laughs> three months to a kid is a long time to go away absolutely absolutely and, and I think in a weird way and uh, now maybe a Sammy sort of toughened him up to kind of emotionally toughened up there. Now when I go away, he goes, all right, see you later. I'll see you on FaceTime or whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And my wife yeah. has been very understanding and very supportive. And I think in many respects, I think it's actually been, it might be a good, it might be a good thing for our marriage as well, because we've had a bit of distance from each other. And sure. when we do be, get, get back together again, it feels a bit fresher. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it is a difficult balance. And as we both know, probably for me being with um, touring friends, musicians and singers that not everybody pulls through and, and, you know, sort of certain people's relationships don't survive being on tour, you know, and for whatever Absol- reason. Absolutely. And I, and I mean, also, I think that, um, I think people have different kind of views on it. I mean, did, did having a child, did that make you sort of, have you ever considered not touring or did, have you ever considered not going on the road and not doing I actually that? haven't. No, I haven't. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I mean, it must have crossed, my, crossed mind. my mind. <laughs> it must have crossed my mind half a second, but I mean, I, you know, I've thought about not, you know, what, you know, not, I'm not trying to make fun of me um, being away from my son because I love him, yeah. you know. But touring has been my way of making money. And while I love studio stuff and being creative in the studio, I've just not had as much of that. So if I'm providing and supporting the family, if if a tour and the touring lifestyle has been that way, then that, that's kind of all I know, really. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess at some point I'll have to look at other options, mate. But I don't know. I mean, sometimes I love the fact that friends of mine and people that I'm aware of, they have plan A, B, C, and D. You know what I mean? And I'm just, yeah. 
which I think is a great thing. But sometimes and there's something to be said for just running with plan A and never <laughs> yeah. you know, screw all the other plans. Just believe in plan A so yeah. much you don't need any of the other plans, you know. But I, I heard that. But that's kind of, I'm kind of, you know, I don't know, mate. I'm just blagging it, really, I guess. But <laughs> No, no, no. You're making a lot of sense, man. I, I wanted to talk about that because I think that, like, I think for me, um, I mean, as you would know, I've, I've pretty much always um, had children um, or, 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 or for, for, for a long part of my career have always had kids. Yeah. And, um, and as well as that, I come from a family where I was a kid in a music, musical family, like a lot of people. But I think that um, some people have this kind of, they have this thinking that, oh, if I have a kid, when I have kids, oh shit, I got to come off the road. I have to stop. Oh, what am I going to do? And, you know, everything's different now when I think that, I've never, like, I think similarly to you, I've never really seen the difference. It's just something else to kind of be kind of looked at and managed and how you manage your time and how you deal with your family. But if that's what you do, that's who you are. It, you know, it doesn't have to mean, you know, having a child or having a family doesn't have to mean the end of your music life. You know what I mean? It doesn't mean that. Some, some people, when the child comes, they see that as they draw a line under where they are in their life and they change. And if, and, and I respect and completely get if people don't want to continue in that sort of, you know, tour and direction. But I've, I definitely, you know, because it is what I do. And thankfully, if I still get called for it, I would continue to do. So, I heard uh, that. but no, I, I love it. And we've had some fantastic times with my wife and my son flying out to see me play in places. And, and I, um, you know, I, I, I love them being there. I mean, my son's not, and he, he loves football and he's like most 11 year old kids into football and, mm-hmm. and Xbox and stuff like that. He's, like, <laughs> he's not into music, which is cool by me. He doesn't mm-hmm. have to, but um, so he hasn't, well, he could play drums a little bit when he was a kid. He didn't, he kind of almost said to me, uh, dad, you, dad, you do that. I'll do something different. It's like, Fair nice. <laughs> but, um, but no, no, it's definitely a, it is a balance, mate. And at times, you know, when you've been on the road, you know, towards the end of a long kind of still of a tour, you know, you really do kind of pull. It, mate, it pulls on the heartstrings every time I walk out of the door and leave them for periods of time with touring. You know, but <laughs> for all I know, they might like me, they might like me to for a bit and have a break. You know? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. And I was just thinking, so have you, um, if you like, have you ever thought like because. I'm just thinking, like, I've always known you very much as a drummer. You know what I mean? Like somebody yeah. that plays drums. Um, have you? Is there any other things that you kind of would like to do in music or outside of music? Have you ever thought of anything else that you'd like to get into? Or you just you just love to play? I mean, I really am a, a one-trick pony, mate. <laughs> I've never, I've, honestly, this is honest truth. I've never thought about playing another instrument. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've thought about it, but I've, I don't feel drawn to be... I don't feel drawn to learn to play another instrument. I know it'd be a, a great asset, you know, and mm-hmm. interesting, but I don't feel, I guess I'm lazy, man. I just, drumming was such a calling to me from a young age. Mm-hmm. It feels so natural that all I can ever remember is being a drummer. Even when I was a kid, you know, I was playing from about five years old, you know, with wow. a little toy drum kit. So in my mind and in my being, as I sit here talking to you, I've always been a drummer. That's what, you know, even when I left school and got a proper job for a few years, you know, mm-hmm. I, I knew I was going to be a drummer. I just didn't know how to go out and have the the balls to jump off the cliff to make this um, a career, you know, and it does take, you know, it does take a certain amount of kind of luck and, you know, determination and but you do need sort of talent as well, I guess, and and you need to be prepared for when you do get that opportunity that you're ready for it. And you know, I've I've I've, I've been really lucky, you know, over the years with certain things and and phone calls out of the blue. I mean, I mean, I got only a few years ago when I was out with Anastasia, an old friend of mine called Noko who plays guitar for. Um, uh, Apollo 440, and he's one of the main guys from Apollo 440. He phoned me about a Japanese guy that he was a big friend and fan of called Hote, mm-hmm. who uh, I'd never heard of, but it turns out that Hote is most internationally famous for writing the theme tune to um, Kill Bill. You know, Quincy. Oh, wow. Okay, I didn't know that. Bah, bah, bah. You know, it sounds much better than that, by the way. I don't really know his epic song. Uh, um, a service there but a phone call from Noko led me to kind of um, to um, sort of work with Hote on a on a, f- a festival 
in 2014, just a one-off UK festival. Then again, I mean, Hote is got some serious chops and ability as a guitar player, like Jeff Beck. You know, and it kind of draw, it kind of for me, drawed me back into that place that I was with Jeff Beck. And subsequently, since that introduction from Rocco, which I'm really grateful for, I had. Um, quite a few sort of studio sessions with Hote mm-hmm. in, again in Metropolis mate I keep I've always seemed to return to Metropolis wow. and I've been involved in Hote's like last three albums um, but he's predominantly had um, he's had many drummers over the years he's had I think he's celebrating his 40th career in music and especially in the Japanese kind of market where he's where he's from mm-hmm. um, but but no I mean that call from um, Rocco led me to doing a, a, a short European tour with Hote in 2017, which was which was which was a no 17, uh, sorry 19, no okay 2018. I'm sorry, yeah, uh, which which was a great tour and ended up in a thing at the uh, Royal Festival Hall. Sorry, not Royal Festival Hall, Shepherd's Bush Empire. Okay, okay, but still, you was you was working with him, you was doing stuff with him. We were doing stuff, yeah, and then. Um, and then we got me and, me and my friend uh, Mark Neary, who's a phenomenal bass player, who'd been doing the uh, hotel stuff in London. We got a call last year um, saying, would we like to go to Japan to do a summer tour with hotel? So that's that's what I did last year. and went to Japan for uh, three and a half months. It was an amazing wow. experience. Have you been to Japan? No, man. I'm so mad. I really want to go to Japan. It's like, it's one of the, it's one of the places I just, I've never been. And it's like, I'm not drawn to go there on vacation. Now, I know that sounds like a weird thing to say. Like, I don't know. When I think of a vacation, I think about South America. I think about fucking Africa. I think about somewhere with some heat. You know what I mean? I think about, I, I don't know, but like, I, but I, I would really love to go to Japan. Like, I, you would but, love it, mate. You would love it. You'll, you'll definitely get there and you will love it. As mm. far as heat is concerned, I was out there in the summer. It's hot, mate. You mean yellow? We started the um, the first podcast episode. Uh, actually, no, no, we didn't. It was before we started the conversation. But you were saying to me, was, "Am I roasting?" Because there's a warm day in the day. Japan in the summertime is hot. It, wow, there's humidity out there. It's a proper four t-shirts a day type of situation. Wow, uh, wow. really. Wonderful tour with Hote, and um, I'm really it was it really pushed me creative, uh, creatively and sort of the stamina I needed for that gig. There was a lot of really fast BPMs. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You know, listen, I'm getting older. You know, I'm not I'm, <laughs> I'm not that kind of chisel guy that you met all those years ago. So <laughs> it was good for me, you know. And I really came away from that tour very proud of. Of sort of how I how I done and you know he's a he's a it was a great experience they were lovely people and and looked after us and you know it's quite a different quite a different audience out there and very not saying more respectful as if the rest of the world isn't respectful but most shows would be five kind of you'd go on stage at five p.m. I mean they're quite wow. early shows and you're kind of uh, you're off off stage by seven seven thirty in a restaurant by eight o'clock so what what, what usually be Gig time in the UK in Japan, you're already Sitting in a down eating sushi. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you got to check him out. He's a great artist, very cool. Oh yeah, no, definitely, man. I think that that's. I mean, again, um, the thing that jumps out to me there is, um, you know, you've, you've touched on the fact of, you know, I guess you know you're, you're a little bit older now. You've been doing this a long time. How do you kind of feel as in kind of older musician touring? Um, how, how how do you feel about that in relationship to all these kind of young kids playing and different type of music, different things? How do you kind of how do you feel you sit within all of that? I don't think I do sit with all of it. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I just I've never really given that much thought. Of course, it's life that the 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 the, uh, the circle of life is is obvious that you know new and up and coming and exciting people are going to be coming into the industry and. Mm-hmm. That's part of life, like with, with in like, in like a new actor or, or, you know, everyone, there's always going to be new blood coming into the thing. And I think it's mm-hmm. exciting, but I don't feel threatened by it because you can't change it. And I think I embrace and enjoy watching younger musicians coming up, but I, I, I can't be what I'm not. I know that. So mm-hmm. you know, I, can't, I can't undo the years. But, you know, I think there's something to, something to be said for 
experience mm-hmm. and maturity in the playing and and I don't know I think sometimes if you've got a CV which is you know which has got a few years attached to it then it says something about you as a, a musician and uh, the um, quality of stuff you've done or, or can offer an artist so I, I don't know it's very hard to answer that directly I can't really directly answer that but I can't I can only be what I am I can't hide um, or pretend to be an up and coming <laughs> well no but I don't think but I, I think that but you know I, I think that it's important well first and foremost I think that um, you know there's no smoke without fire you know what I mean and you can't have a long career in any industry without being good at it you know what I mean and without having unique qualities that people want over and over again so I think that's the first thing so it's like I think to be to, to have the kind of if you're if anyone's lucky enough to be playing music or sessioning for the amount of time that you have, then they must be good at it. You know what I mean? And I think as well as that, I think that you've mentioned on a few occasions, you know, uh, you know, that person called you or that person connected you with that person. And, and it just, for me, that just shows me that repeatedly you've made good impressions on people. You've kept up good relationships with people and good things have come back to you and kept you kind of doing things and kept you doing what you love. So that's a fantastic thing, man. Yeah, mate. I can't. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I've been very lucky. I really have been. Lucky. I know that the, that's not all you can say about. But things, it's not but just luck because the thing I is, any, anybody can get lucky once or twice. <laughs> but like, but I think if you're doing something fucking for like you know close to twenty years or more than twenty years, then that means that that means you know what you're doing. Do you know what I mean? That you're actually good just, at it. Going back to the, probably one of the first things I said in the first episode that just getting a record deal with my band, yeah. uh, that was that was a, that to me and to some people in their music careers that is their biggest achievement and and that is a great achievement. Don't get me wrong, it's achievement. I remember being in Norwich bands and um, original bands and we had to play uh, when we when we first played London. We came down to London. We had to do a pay to play thing where you have to pay money to play. I mean, talk mm-hmm. about concepts. But I remember playing the Rock Garden in Covent Garden, where we paid, we paid money to play there. Wow! And, uh, wow! And I remember thinking, I've made it. I'm me and my company. <laughs> you know, now now when I think back as a as a much older man, you know, and and stuff I've done, I've you know, I've you know, I've now played in most of the you know the London venues, you know, the the venues that I've played mainly with you, you know, and it's. You know, I just feel really lucky, mate. I mean, I know it's just not luck, but I feel I'm just fortunate and grateful. And I've always tried to be a decent bloke and be a be a, a good, reliable drummer to call upon for a job and mm-hmm. and have a few laughs along the way. I guess you know. Absolutely, man. No, no, no. Hundred percent. That is just that is fantastic, man. So, what do you like? I mean. Obviously, I, I love this Plan A concept. By the way, I, I love I love this whole like, fuck Plan B, C, and D. Let's just well, Plan no, A. I'm not, I'm not saying that is the only way to go because there's people with many plans, and maybe one day I'll come a cropper, and I was like, ah oh, man. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, no, that's great. So, so I'm imagining with the Plan A theme, I'm imagining. What do, do you have any thoughts about what you want in the future and what you expect to be doing five, ten years, or is it just hopefully? still playing, still playing with good people and um, still doing good things? Like, how do you see that unfolding? That's, in an ideal world, Kojo, that's what I hope to continue doing. I mean, drumming is what I know. Mm-hmm. And while I can still play and, and you know, do a, you know, do a good job for people, then I, I just hope that I will get called back for stuff, you know. There's, there's no guarantee. That's, that's one, the one thing there is guaranteed is that there's no guarantee for anything. So even though you've done... Um, a, a musician may have have a you know done a lot of things that sometimes can go against you because people might think, oh, you know what, he or she is probably too busy, or mm-hmm. we can't afford them, um, or, or or people might think of reasons not to call you because they might put into their head reasons not to call somebody. But in truth, you just I think most musicians and singers just want to be called, at least asked. You know what I mean? Um, Absolutely. You know, I just I just really hope. I mean, like it's hard to not be um you know totally aware of what's going on with this um coronavirus situation and i've not spoken about it much but in this podcast because we want to keep things positive but in truth i think 
every musician, singer, touring person, you know, production manager, lighting guy, you know, front of house. There's a lot of people in our industry at the moment are currently in a, in a state of kind of not knowing what's going on because we don't know what that's going to look like. And I'd, I'd be lying if I wasn't quite, um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm interested to see how things might turn out. And I really hope, you know, we can, we can get back to some sort of normality of what we had before. It may not be for a while. Um, sure. Because, I mean, with a great, I know things evolve and the world changes and technology comes into place, but streaming a gig on your laptop, you know, and dancing around your front room, as much as I <laughs> could see that that would be an option, that's not going to replace how much no. people love standing in a sweaty arena or theatre watching their favourite band. So I don't quite know. I guess once we get a vaccine, man, you know, I, I'm just a simple drummer. I don't know much about vaccines, but I guess if we get something that can get us all back to being in those venues again, we'll be okay, you know. Um, well, yeah, but- I, I think that, but I think that I think you're right. You touched on something. It's like it's great that they're doing all these virtual festivals and you know everybody's singing in their pajamas and this and that, whatever. But the reality is, it's like it's a little bit whack, you know. And I think that, like th- there's nothing like you know. I think that the thing that struck me when I sort of came into live music from the kind of studio side of things was just, there was this energy about it. There was this kind of special kind of thing to actually seeing people perform and people, you know, just that kind of that, that um, I don't know what the exact word is, but that kind of exchange between the audience and the musicians and the band and the room is just something special. And I think that that's why it still holds so much value. You know, like people talk about record sales going down and people buying less records, but that live experience is still priceless, you know? And it's like, you know, I go to a, I go to a gig and, you know, to go to an arena, it costs like, you know, a cheap ticket. You're paying like 75, 80 pounds to see somebody, you know what I mean? And it's like, it's a lot of money. It's like, you know, a record, you know, you, you, it doesn't even cost. That. I can't even remember what a record costs because I just, you know, I play for Spotify subscription. <laughs> but but it's like, you know, if a record was to cost nine ninety nine or whatever, like it used to, that's nothing compared to the, what you're prepared to spend on that live experience. So it is something special. I think it's a special, something special to be a part of. And the fact that you've been a part of it so much throughout your life and people's careers, I think is a unique thing. Mm. Thank you, man. Yeah. Yeah, man. So, and, and, and again, I think that, um, I think there's still more to come. I think that, um, it's, it's funny, you know, I think that there's a session world or there's a lot of young musicians that come into, um, and the live music world and they, they see it as kind of like, it's a, as, as a young person's game and, and it's not, there's, there's like, there's all different, many different type of artists, many different, there's all different types of music, all different types of players, all different types of bands. And it's just about finding a space that you can contribute to and you can sit in well with and being able to make your mark. You know, sometimes I speak to some guys a little bit older and they want to play with acts that are really, really young. And it's like, you know, these people, it's they they just like socially, they even forget about like musically, even if it can work musically, sometimes socially, like, you know, it's like when you're, you know, you might be like for me now, I, I play with like some of the, uh, there's some musicians that are like literally my daughter's age and younger. Do you know what I mean? So they don't want me in their band. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, even if I did still play, but I mean, but then at the same token, it depends on the music. You know what I mean? Some of the music is sort of like, it, it, it needs a certain type of player and it needs a certain type of attitude. So it's like, I remember when I was doing James Morrison, there was people one guy was 22, another guy might have been 42. It didn't make any. It didn't make any difference. It didn't matter because the music was a certain type of music. As long as you could play it, that's all that mattered. But I think that one of the things I want people to understand is it's just like there's a lane for everybody, you know, and it's like it doesn't have to be limited to age or a particular style of music or a particular whatever. It's just it's about finding one that you can sit in that works for you. Definitely. I think the thing that I would say to my younger self of our kids ago, I think we all look up to other people and we want to, you know, we, we quite often we want to emulate and be like our heroes and, you know, and sort of copy them. But I think it takes, it's took me a while to realize and actually and be proud of my own strengths for who I am and be an individual, you know, be proud of who, who Steve Barney is, whoever that is, you know what I mean? And, and the way I play and you just have to be, you know, I think you have to take what you've got and, and, and give that to the gig that you might have and and ultimately you know just uh 
just be honest and be and be sort of proud of who you are and take that to every gig you do, you know. And um, yeah, it's great to keep an eye on other people, but embrace who you are and be proud of who you are and and just and just be your best, you know, on on every um, every opportunity you have. Absolutely, man. Well, listen, that is an absolutely fantastic message to leave on, man. That is um, right. that's that's fantastic, man. So, listen, thank you so much for um talking today. It's it's been epic. There's no there's no, there's no there's, there's no other way to so nice, say apart from, apart from being asked to do this, it's so nice to chat with a with an old friend who goes without saying. I mean, you know, I shared some immensely kind of uh, fun times together on stage and on tour. And then from a farmate watching your kind of career as an MD, I can't be happier than than to see how well that's gone for you, and also to have a conversation with you. So it's great, man. Oh man, thanks a lot, man. Yeah, it's been fantastic. So listen. We'll have to do it again. I mean, I, I can tell you there's a whole list of things that I wanted to ask you about that, believe it or not, I still couldn't get to <laughs> because there's been so much. Episode 3F. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, time. <laughs> exactly, man. No, we'll definitely have to get up and do it again. But listen, take care. Best of love to your family and stay safe, stay well, and we'll catch up again soon. All right, Kojo. All right, take care, man. Bye-bye. And there it is. Hope you enjoyed the second part of that conversation. But alas, that is the end of the first series of the About the Players podcast. I want to thank all the guests that have come on and shared their stories. I want to thank everybody that's tuned in. Everybody that's liked, shared, subscribed, told a friend, all that good stuff. We really appreciate your support. But it's only the beginning. We will be back with Series 2. We already have an amazing set of players lined up. And the stories will continue. In the meantime, be safe. And from everybody here at About the Players, happy holidays.